Parenting is the best and the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. It's not the best and the worst. Although sometimes you really feel like it's the best and the worst. (laughs) But it's the best and the hardest thing. You know, God gave us little humans, versions of ourselves that are absolutely helpless, that are absolutely like a blank canvas, unique individuals who are not like us. They're different to us, but we have to model God to them. That's the job of a parent, to model God to your child and Bring out the uniqueness that God has placed in them by training them up in the way they should go, not the way I want them to go or you want them to go or the way you wished you could have gone if someone had given you more whatever. I'm the only one that ever... Amen, amen, yes, Train them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. What? From the training and the uh, input that you have given them, the modeling, so that they will have a relationship with God themselves and that they will in turn for the next generation train them. Can you see that our children are a way that God leaves a legacy on this planet so that His name can be lifted high and His name can be propagated on the earth, not just through spiritual children, but through our physical children. You know, I remember my oldest son, I've, I've heard you, I love him dearly. I mean, you've heard me say many things about parenting and about my kids. My oldest son, you know, your first one's meant to be the one that keeps the rules, the one that, you know, firstborns, they keep the rules, they do everything right. They don't ask why. Well, I had, I don't know what happened. My first one asked why for everything, stamped his foot, said, at nine and a half months old, he walked at nine months old, nine and a half months old. I said, come to mummy. He turned around, looked at me, stomped his foot and shouted, no. And I was like, oh, this is, and he's my first baby. I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something really wrong. Anyway, we were leading a youth ministry and I remember we were incredibly busy. Nathan was a little baby and Mark was a two-year-old. I could not take my eyes off that child for one minute. Literally for one minute. He would be up the back of that room on top of those chairs, not walking on the seats, trying to walk on the back of the chairs along the wall like this. He just was crazy. And I, I remember thinking, God, I feel called to the ministry. I, how can I do it with this wild child that you've given me. And I remember in one prayer meeting, I just picked him up more out of frustration than model parenting. (laughs) 
And we were walking up and down as our, our practices when we pray and the music was on. Just like the prayer meeting this morning, we have prayer meetings at um, quarter past nine in this building every Sunday morning. And at, just like that, we were walking up and down and I am a prayer. I've always been a prayer and I was like, God, how do I pray with this stupid kid? So I picked him up. And, uh, you know, he immediately, he was a kicker. You know those kids, you pick them up and they start kicking you with their legs? I am like, nobody kicks my mummy. My iron grip came into I just literally went, oh, squeezed the life out of him. And I started to speak in my heavenly language and walk up and down. And what amazed me, bit by bit, he just relaxed. And for the next hour, now Mark was diagnosed with ADHD and the doctors told me to put him on drugs, but I really felt the Holy Spirit say, this is not the way I want you to do it with this boy. And so I, he was wriggling and trying to get out. I grabbed him and I began to walk up and down, just speaking the heavenly language, just practicing God's presence. And the more I just focused on God, the quieter this child got. Mark literally became limp in my arms. He just, I watched his face was, his face was in a, a face of wonder. He was like, what just happened? Like literally he could feel God's presence because I was practicing God's presence and it became a key for me every prayer meeting until I could no longer carry him because he was too heavy and we would walk hand in hand. Do you know what to this day, you've heard Mark speak on this platform and what happens, he is a burly man, he's six foot four, he is strong-willed, he is a type A personality and he gets in the presence of God and he weeps like a baby. Why? Because I practiced the presence of God with him at a young age. I'm just giving you some great tips on parenting right here. You know, when my teenagers would come through the house and they would be slamming doors and doing stuff, I just turned the worship up. This is my house. I'm setting the atmosphere. You will not set the atmosphere in my house. No one can set the atmosphere in my house except me. Just keep turning it up. <laughs> Literally, Google Home is maxed out sometimes in my house. And there's re it, it works every time. They either calm down or they go somewhere where they can't hear the worship because it's really hard to be angry when you're in the presence of God. You know, I just recently with my seven-year-old grandson Judah, the apple of my heart, he is a fearful child by nature and he was struggling with some anxiety, not, not just recently, but a while ago. And he was struggling with anxiety and we were talking about it. And I said, let's just practice the presence of God. And he looked at me and he said, What's, what do you do? What is that? What do you do? Like, and not what is that, but I don't know how to do that. And I said, come on, let's sit on the lounge. And we sat on the lounge together and 
I said, now close your eyes and take a deep, big, deep breath in. And then when you take a breath out, I want you to just forget about all the fears. You're blowing out all the fears, all the anxiety. And I want you to think about God. And we sat in, on that lounge, I had my arm around him and I began to focus and I began to practice the presence of God. And he became still. He wasn't wriggling. He takes after his father. And I just peeked open my eyes after about three minutes and tears were streaming down his face. I said, do you feel him? Do you feel his presence? And he nodded. He said, oh, I felt that before. I didn't know what it was. You see, you and I, if we're going to get more in 24, we need to practice the presence of God. We need more of his presence. Who needs more of his presence in their life? I don't think I could ever get enough of his presence. I am not somebody who's like, oh, I'm satisfied with this. The more of his presence I get, the more of his presence I want. I want his presence more than anything. And you know, this year, uh, two weeks ago, actually, I felt God say to me, Jane, I'm bringing my presence back to the church. I'm bringing, you see, there was a a shaking with COVID and God prophetically said to me, I am shaking all that can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. And God did that. There was a shaking, right? We saw that before our very eyes. And then God said to me, I'm sifting you, Jane. I want to sift you. And it was, it was for everyone involved in his kingdom, I believe, that he wanted to sift us and take off the, the things that were no longer of value and of worth, but to just leave the seed, the seed that would multiply and bring forth life. So there was a sifting and a shaking and a sifting. And then two weeks ago, God said to me, and now I want to bring my presence back to the church. You know, it reminded me of the children of Israel in the wilderness, where they're they're walking through the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai and, and Moses goes up the mountain. God calls him up the mountain and he has an incredible encounter with God and, and a, a face-to-face almost. He said, I'm going to hide myself from you, but you will see my rear end. That's <laughs> You'll see my back part. No, that's worse. Um, Anyway, you'll see the back half of me um, as I, and, and Moses and God are talking face to face on the mountain. The mountain is thundering. There is a wind. There's the presence of God in such a tangible way. And then Moses goes down and the people of Israel, the children of Israel have made a false God. 
And Moses is horrified and God says, that's it. I will not go with these people. I'm going to send an angel. But Moses has had an encounter with the presence of God. And he says this in Exodus 33. He says, unless your presence, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, unless you go with me, I'm not moving from here. And I feel like God wants you and I to have the same kind of hunger. You know, it's not enough for you and I to just have encounters with God. Many of us have been up the mountain. Many of us have been to the altar. Many of us have had closet experiences with God where we have met God face to face. But God says it is time for me to walk with you so that you walk out of here with my presence. And the only way we can do that is if we become filled with God's presence. And I felt God say to me while I was preparing, He said, Jane, many people in this room and watching online line actually have felt stuck. It's been a rough start to the year and you feel stuck almost like the children of Israel where they walked round and round and round and round and you feel like you're not making any progress. Maybe it's in your business, maybe it's in your relationships, but God is saying the thing that will help you is to be led and guided by my Spirit. My presence, I want to go with you if you will understand what it takes. You see, when Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with me, I am not moving from here. I am not taking these people. And sometimes we've got to get to that place with God. We're going round the wilderness and we're in that place where we feel dry, where we feel barren, where we feel a little bit stuck, where we feel like just there's, we're not sure what the future holds, just like the children of Israel. And God says, if you will desire my presence. And in the in, in that story, it was Moses that pled with God on behalf of the people. You see, that was Old Testament. God's presence was manifest through people and the prophets in the Old Testament. One person that God uh, kind of chose to manifest His presence to His people. That was the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ manifests God's presence on earth. And what happened in the Old Testament, miracles happened through those people who manifest God's presence. And in the New Testament, Jesus came and miracles were manifest through Him. But Jesus then went to heaven and sent His Holy Spirit. And He said, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? 
So now in this New Testament dispensation of the church, you and I are the carriers of God's presence. God no longer wants it to be one man, one woman, one person. He wants it to be every man, every woman, every person who are carriers of the presence of God. That's what he's wanting for you and I. Do you want more? Do you want more of his presence? Because so much more, I feel like the church for so long has still had the Old Testament mindset that the presence of God is revealed through the person on the platform. It is so wrong that the presence of God is revealed through special um, individuals who have a gift that is so wrong. The presence of God in this day and age is meant to be revealed through the church. God's vehicle, God's bride, God's body. God's body is meant to be the carrier, the vessel of the presence of God. And that means you and I. We are the body. Remember, you are not the body, but we are the body. When we get together, you become the body. Pastor Ashley's taught us that. So we need more of his presence in 24. Because if we are meant to reach a world who is dying and without hope and who needs to know the good news of the gospel, who needs to know that Jesus Christ died for them and loves them and and has life-changing life and hope for them and has a future. The world need to know and the only way they're going to know, many of them will never come into a church, but they're not even meant to. They're meant to have an encounter with the presence of God on your life. They're meant to have an encounter with the presence of God and miracles that are happening in your life so that they are drawn into this place. And when I was, when the Holy Spirit said to me, I want to bring my presence back to the church, immediately he showed me the story of King David. And it's, it's in, I have it somewhere in here. Uh, it's in 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 5. But I want to give you some, some background because it fits in perfectly to what I'm saying. You see, the children of Israel in the uh, wilderness had God's, the fire by day and the cloud by night. God's presence did go with them because Moses begged God to do it. And he did go with them and they went into the promised land and they, they killed giants and took over territory and they settled down in their own land. And it wasn't long before the children of Israel looked around and saw everyone else had a king and they said, give us a king. And God was grieved because he said to them, I am your king. I will be your king. But they said, no, we want a king. We want a king. And, and so they, Samuel the prophet, anointed Saul king over Israel. And then Saul 
almost immediately gets attacked by the enemies of God's people. You see, when we do not do it God's way, when we do not conform to the way God knows is best for us, we're always looking for something else other than His presence to solve our problems. We're looking for a man, we're looking for a marriage, we're looking for a business, we're looking for a promotion, we're looking for something else other than the presence of God leading us and guiding us. And so the children of Israel said, give us a king. Saul became king. The Philistines who were the enemies of the children of God attacked and they took the ark of his presence with them. And they took it for 20 years. But do you know what? The children of Israel were so busy fighting battles that they didn't even get it back. They were surviving. They were trying to fight battles just to survive, just to stay alive. And when God's presence, when we allow the enemy to steal God's presence out of our lives, whether it's through distraction, whether it's through busyness, whether it's through disappointment, whether it's through uh, offence or hurt or church hurt or leadership hurt or whatever it is, we have allowed the enemy to steal the presence of God in our lives. We will spend the days that we don't have that presence fighting for survival. The enemy will make sure that all the energy we do have will be siphoned out into battles trying to survive. But God says, you were created as my people. You were created to have the presence of God with you daily. And so King David, after 20 years, Saul dies on the battlefield, killed by the enemy that took the presence of God from him and from his people. And King David is made king. We know the story But after 20 years, King David begins to long for the presence of God. He begins to desire the presence of God. And he says, I'm going to bring back God's presence to Jerusalem. And he goes to get it. You see, the Philistines had put it on a cart because everywhere God's presence went in the enemy's camp, There was tumours and plagues and all sorts of terrible things broke out. And so the Philistines were like, we're we're sending it back. But even then, even then, the Israelites didn't come and get it. It was on their territory in the house of a guy called Abinadab for 20 years. And then King David said, I'm going to go get the presence of God. It says in 2 Samuel 6, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up 
from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. I love that. And so they set the ark of God and they brought it and they played um, in verse 5. David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, tambles and tambourines and cornets and cymbals. In other words, there was a loud noise and all the people shouted. I don't know if you think church is meant to be quiet. But every time in the Word of God, where the presence of God is, there is a loud noise, there is shouting, there are instruments, there is such a a wave of praise because I believe that in heaven there are 24 elders casting their crowns around the throne singing he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy and all the people and hosts of heaven and the angels are joining in unison because where the presence of God is there is always worship. Where the presence of God is there is always a liberation where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, the Bible says. And I just want to, I want the um, musicians and singers to come because I feel God said to me, Jane, I want you to practice the presence of God with my people. I want you to practice the presence of God this morning and I'm aware that there may be some people in this place this morning and you're like like Judah. What does that look like? You may have seen weird things. God is never weird. He is never weird. He does ask that we give him control. He does ask sometimes for us to not care about what others will think about us. Because I want to show you something. When David went to get the ark, there was firstly desire. And God says to you this morning, do you desire my presence? Do you desire more of my presence in 24? How much do you desire my presence? David took 30,000 men and all the people that were with him in this particular place from Judah. That took a lot of organisation. But that said, I'm serious about this. When 30,000 soldiers turn up, 30,000 soldiers, the choicest men of Israel, they're going to meet a king. It's not a wooden box covered in gold. It's not a mystic, traditional symbol. It is the ark of the Lord of hosts where He dwells, His presence on earth. What are you prepared to do to get it? David purified himself. It says he he washed and put on linen the, the garments of priesthood. And there's going to be a requirement of the church 
God says, I want to bring my presence back to the church. But before that happens, I need my people to purify themselves. I need my people, and this is not condemnatory because it is personal. If you want to be a carrier of God's presence, then you need to purify the vessel that is carrying God's presence. He does not mess around with immorality, impurity. He doesn't mess around or nor will be in the vicinity of those kind of things. But if we're willing to desire and to go to the effort and if we're willing to purify ourselves. And then next came the threshing floor test where user reached out and it says he laid hold of the ark of God. And I felt God say to me, you know, all the sermons that have been preached about that, and whatever they mean, he said simply, I want you to understand this, that that was a test about who is in control. Am I in control or are you in control? Do you feel the need to steady things when things get a little out of control? When you don't understand what's going on, do you feel the need to to stabilise God's presence through tradition? We, I, I haven't done, we don't, we don't. They, 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 we don't. I mean, I have heard it all. And then there was a sacrifice and humility where every six paces, they didn't dare go seven because seven was God's number and God was pure and holy. They went six paces because they recognised we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's standard. And because we fall short of God's standard, we're going to offer a sacrifice. A, a peace offering, a sin offering to the Lord because we fall short of the incredible, amazing God that we serve. But we do not allow that to stop us. We go six paces, then we sacrifice. We go six paces, then we sacrifice. And I just believe God is saying to people here, if If my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land and I will come and visit them. Like we long, we long for God's presence. There's something inside of all of us that longs for God's presence. If if we have come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there may be people in this room today that say, well, like Judah, I I don't understand God's presence. I don't understand how it works. I don't really understand what I need to do, but that's okay. Because I really felt God say to me, "Would would you give people the opportunity this morning to come into relationship with God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the God of the Old Testament who dwelt in the ark, who was manifest through the prophets. Would you 
give people the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ who came to earth in the New Testament, who did miracles on behalf of the people and for the people because He so loved the people that He willingly gave His life up to die on the cross so that we could be washed of our sin. It's the sacrifice that happened after six paces. It is the sacrifice of killing an animal and shedding its blood so that God would accept the people. God God said, you don't need to do that forever. I'm sending Jesus, my son, and He will die and His blood will be spilt once and for all. And if you will accept the sacrifice He made for you because He loves you so much, And God, your Father in heaven, wants relationship with you. If you will do that, then I will wash you clean so you can become a vessel and a carrier of my presence. So you don't have to just experience an encounter and then nothing and come back and experience an encounter and nothing. God says you were created to carry my presence. You were created to be a vessel. You were created to be a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And you were created to do miracles in the name of Jesus.